0: You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And
1: here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. It is Monday, May 16th, 2022, episode 110. Here with my co-host, Christina Dennis. What's up, Christina?
0: I am so happy to be here. Happy Monday, Damon Frank. How are you?
1: Happy Monday to you! Everything is going really well today. I'm back in the swing. I, I've been, you know, I've been working on my Monday morning get up early because we've got a big, you know, Mondays are big for us. We've got we, we've got the show live at eight, and
0: mm-hmm. then we've
1: got a huge recovered life discussion that we yes. do every week at nine Pacific. So it's a busy week for me, Christina. It's a busy <laughs> week for you. So I got to get up and ready to go, but um, I'm great because we've got a great uh, a great episode uh, for everyone today. Um, all about, uh, all about addiction, all about recovery, mm-hmm. a little bit of codependency in there. So a I think bit. there's going to be some, there's going to be, there's going to be an addiction for everyone in this episode. Don't you
0: think? <laughs> yes. Yes. If, if I'm here, there's always a little bit of codependency in there, isn't there? Yeah. I'm, there I'm really go. excited about it. I'm very excited about it. We've got some good stuff to share.
1: Well, um, one of the things that was interesting is we were talking about the Recovered Life community that we've been building and we've been making a lot of changes to that. A lot of great new free content mm-hmm. that is that, that is floating out there. If you join the recovered life community, a brand new interface, which we've been working yes. on a new way for people to share, uh, uh, an exciting little partnership that we actually have going on with a technology company. That's I think going to revolutionize the way that people in, uh, that are in recovery are interacting with each other, it's like a little bit better than the Facebook model. It might be a lot better than the Facebook and so. Instagram model, and much more personal. So, more about that as the next kind of as the next shows unfold here on the Recovered Life. Uh, but uh, look, look for that, guys, and join. You can go to RecoveredLife.us and definitely join because you're going to want to be part of this new thing that we're doing.
0: Yep, Don't miss out. Before we start the episode, though, I want to let everybody know that this show is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors like me and viewers like you. Please like, share, follow, leave us a comment. Let us know what you want to talk about. Also visit info.recoveredlife.us. You can show us a little love via donation that allows us to keep helping others. And you can join that network Damon was talking about. It's info.recoveredlife.us.
1: Yes, absolutely. Please join. Your guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. Uh, Christina and I are always on creating additional value and additional content just for people who are members of the community. So don't miss out on that at recoveredlife.us. Christina, great segment here that we've got. You brought this to my attention here. Uh, This is an article that you found that basically says how long does it take the brain to recover from addiction tell us a little bit about this article where you found it and a little bit of your thoughts
0: well i'm going to tell you that this is one of the best articles that i have ever read but my print does not say where we got it from so maybe you can help me out with that that's okay i will
1: find i will find
0: it okay <laughs> it is it is so informative and i think that you know i'm going to say one of the things that has happened in the last 10 years is that we have discovered the neuroplasticity of our brains. We have started to realize how uh, how alcohol and drugs actually affect us. And I didn't know that 25 years ago. <clears throat> I knew what the big book said, that there was a phenomena of craving. Uh, I knew that, you know, I drank differently than other people, and they still haven't quite figured out why some brains do get addicted um, faster than possibly others, but when I discovered this information, and I love the way the article rolls it out because it's it's really got everything that you need to know to understand this concept, you start to realize that there's such an effect on your brain and that it's inevitable for many, many people. I mean, look, we're at three, four people out of 10 who have a substance abuse disorder. So let's talk about this. Um, I think the concept, what's well, not even a concept, what I learned through this article in many of the other books that I've read is that when you drink alcohol, our brains always want to bring us to balance. They always want to bring us to what they call homeostasis. And so when you flush your brain with a lot of dopamine, okay, with a ton of dopamine, which is what we know happens when we drink, it's one of the hit, you know biggest hits of dopamine, your brain will start to adjust and actually produce you know, hormones, chemicals that bring the brain down, it'll actually change our ability to get dopamine in a natural way. And it explained to me, I remember the first time I understood this concept and read it was that, wow, you know, it's a little more vivid than just alcohol is a depressant. I mean, our brain actually changes after we have alcohol to adjust to it and will not allow us to produce no dopamine. Talk about depression. And when I realized that and I thought about the anxiety that I had when I thought about not even drinking or the anxiety my husband had after a binge drinking weekend, I was like, oh my God, Are you kidding? This thing that, you know, supposed to make us feel good actually turns out to really making us feel bad.
1: Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, in this article, and just just I'll I'll cite the article here. It's from uh, it's from Stone Ridge and Mm. uh, wrote this wrote this article. And I believe that they're a, a, a treatment center or a scientific center. But what was interesting about it and I is that the study, it says, what do brain scans of addicted people show? And it's, you know, it's interesting because it goes down. Like we always thought, you know, I think before the science got there, we Mm -hmm. knew before that, like people who are alcoholics act differently when alcohol gets into their body. We couldn't really describe this. And this is where I think when people are thinking about a disorder or a disease, or is this this just a psychological issue, right? Is this a mental health issue? Uh, This is where I think this is where i think alcoholism took kind of a rough beating up like because we couldn't you know we couldn't it's really hard to explain to a scientist or a doctor from a scientific, it's like no, you don't understand. It's different when I take alcohol as opposed to a non-alcoholic taking alcohol, and the, right. and you know, and their response, and of course, this medical response would be prove that to me, sh- show that to mm-hmm. me. And this actually does prove it. And it. You know, one of the things that I put on on the screen here, and it says that PET scans show a flow of dopamine to different regions of the brains and individuals who misuse drugs. Right, so wow. we know that, like we know now scientifically, that different things are happening when people who are pre-conditioned uh, to alcoholism or alcohol or addiction or any type of addiction ingest alcohol or drugs.
0: Well, and I think this information is so powerful, especially if in your, you're in early recovery. With the, with the data, we start to realize that even though we believe and our brain believes that this is the best way for us to treat it because of the dopamine and where it goes, it actually always hurts us in the long run. It always hurts us because our body adjusts so that it will, you know, not, we won't have too much dopamine. And when I first read that and understood that concept, I was like, oh my God, it's such a lie. And understanding that made me feel like, oh, this is just a matter of time for me to take and detox, because the article goes on to explain that once alcohol or the drugs are out of your system, then your brain can start to repair. And so I said it, and the reason why I wanted to bring it up today was for anybody who's in that terrible first six months you know, where yes. they can't understand why they crave something that's killing them, why it feels so scary. It feels scary because we've, you know, screwed up our chemicals and we can't overcome that just by, you know, positive thought. We have to kind of live through that detox. But I well, hope it gives it, yeah. people hope. I really want well, it to anyone give anyone who's hope.
1: Anyone who has dealt with anyone who is detoxing from alcohol, you could start to see the different things actually physically happen to them that are going on inside biochemically, right? Like, so this thing of the, the, these waves of cravings, this Mm -hmm. is something, you know, that when I was reading this, I'm like, okay, this makes a much more scientific approach to this because these waves of cravings that are coming through, right. And they come out and they're very, very, very intense I mm-hmm. think that the thing that's interesting about this, Christina, is that one of the things that I think the 12 step and especially Alcoholics Anonymous, I think deserves a lot of credit for is in the 30s, in the 40s, in the 20s, they really were putting together a really good observation study yes, um, of dealing with alcoholics and why certain people seemed to get sober and why others did not, right? right? And they knew that there was this personality kind of, I'm going to say uh, kind of a, a personality disorder, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. With people that were acting out emotionally. And yes. then there was this physical craving. And then there was also this spiritual side that was all moving together, right? right. Uh, and and I think that that's, I, I one, I think that's the most baffling thing to people who are not alcoholics, they just don't get this at all. But people no. who are alcoholics totally see this. I think where we fall is being able to tie, there is really no science to be able to tie all of that together, really.
0: Not yet. I think that they're getting closer, though. And you know, when I first got sober, I remembered that that year, and I remember the depression and the sadness. And I remember thinking something is incredibly wrong with me, you know, (laughs) something is so bad that I can see all the positives in my life, yet this is still calling to me. And I hope that the science behind it gives people some peace that, you know, your brain is going to do this. There's a matter of time for it to repair. And in everybody, you will reach a homeostasis. They go on to discuss that the first 90 days You get some immediate relief but it takes up to a year now i hope everybody will go and download this article because once you see it in black and white and scientifically you won't think it's a moral issue plus it has a time frame you know we know that if we continue to stay sober we continue to repair our brains
1: yeah and i think uh You know, one of the things about the study of this that I find is interesting is that, you know, in early sobriety, like you're saying, how do you apply this to early sobriety? Mm -hmm. Um, We know that just by being sober coaches, Christina, one of the things that we see a lot with people who are in recovery and not happy Right. Mm-hmm. Is that they are still kind of chasing the dopamine hit. Yes. And we call this, you know, in coaching, we call this stacked addictions. People right. that go from, okay, I was an alcoholic and drug addict, but now I'm sober, but now I take really risky gambling moves mm-hmm. or food or sex or whatever they replace that dopamine hit with, they've yes. replaced it with that because they're still chasing that dopamine hit even mm-hmm. though they are stone cold sober from a substance.
0: Well, you're so right and I think that as as a sober coach and you know some of the things that we do together with our clients, we start teaching them and showing them this is this is a formula. Like everybody has access to increase their serotonin, everybody has access to cr- increase their oxytocin and it's just a matter of time like driving a clutch eventually we will start to live on those kind of chemicals and dopamine will be used for the intended purpose, which is to get something done. But our brain helps us get addicted to dopamine.
1: Well, you know what this got, what, what this made me think of is, uh, you know, working with people who thrive in chaos, mm-hmm. who thrive in the dopamine hit, but then when they're sober, when the chaos happens, all of a sudden they freeze up they feel sick they don't feel good anymore they no longer want to live in chaos necessarily although it's appealing right, right? there's an appealing on the dopamine kind of level because it, yes. that's firing off all the dopamine and addiction stuff right but right. but in but inside they feel like oh they don't feel good anymore right they can't handle the level of toxicity that they used to handle for me that's a sign of recovery and a sign of healing So it does say that at some point, you know, in this article, that you get to a place where things start to level out a little bit.
0: Yes, and that's the key. You know, I love the discussions of of what alcohol really does to us, even with a non-alcoholic. To understand that when you're ingesting something that is inevitably going to turn <laughs> into something that feels bad, you know, we maybe start thinking ahead of time. Oh gosh, this really isn't very helpful for me to put my b- brain through this. You know, even if it's once a month and I'm not saying people shouldn't drink. I just think that it should be it should come with a warning. I think this information needs to get out there. You know, there's a lot of things that glorify what alcohol does. You know, it's attached to a lot of, you know, uh, activities like this is how you relax. This is how you have fun. But there's a price to pay every time you drink. You, you're set up to actually be in a worse off position than you were before you took that drink.
1: Yeah. And I think the, you know, plus we're not even talking with alcohol, you have the sugar mm-hmm. component as well. And we've talked a lot about on the show about sugar addiction, you mm-hmm. know, and I find that to be the case too. It's like, you know, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honest enough to say that like when I'm under a lot of pressure, like mm-hmm. i was under pressure this weekend i had to, we were doing something there was a lot of emotions involved in it uh there were a bag of skittles i ate the bag of skittles i had a feeling <laughs> right that i feel a little bit better like and i know that that is that that's that's very similar to this that it fire, sugar fires off things in my brain now i've also learned too that 2 hours later i wasn't happy that i ate the skittles no. right no. i was not mm-hmm. happy because i just ingested a lot of sugar, and now emotionally, I don't feel as on top of my game as I would have if I hadn't have done that. And physically, I don't feel good.
0: No, no, and and there's a chemical reason. There's scientific data explaining that. The the, the thing that I also wanna emphasize before we finish this segment is that your brain can repair itself. It, it You know, neuroplasticity is still relatively new. 20 years or so where people have started to see that and although some drugs will permanently damage your ability in certain areas gray area white matter knowing that it will not always feel like this knowing that you can live a more even balanced life and also knowing that you have the you have the actual power to start these other activities that will help you i think is really really powerful
1: Yeah. Well, one of the things that they don't really dive into a lot here is the practicality of living sober. Right. And I think there's a couple of things going on. There's the physical stuff that's going on. But then there's the also the like, I'm now living sober. Mm-hmm. And I'm waking up. And yes, that feels good to wake up, not hung over. It right. feels good. All that stuff is great. Like as, as somebody like you and I would agree who both have very long-term sobriety, that that is, that's a huge plus, right? Like, so as you go, but I'm telling you, I remember back in the day waking up and not being so, I didn't really know how to live without alcohol, right? Of course. Like, so for me, it was such a big part of my life and and I lost something That was such a huge part of my life, integral to how Mm -hmm. I was able to really cope with things that, you know, um, there was a period of time where I did not feel, even though physically I felt better, Mm -hmm. I did not emotionally feel better. And this leads into the depression when you're detoxing and depression comes and then also waking up and not knowing how to really deal with the with, with uh with your life that's why i think it's so important to put together a really strong recovery program mm-hmm. in early recovery so you actually are on the right path you're not just spinning in the wind
0: yeah and picking up those stacked addictions and not actually Absolutely. teaching your brain and your body how to live in today's world without chemicals. So it's it's really, it's exciting to be sober at this time. And it's really exciting to see, as we report a lot on this show, how much we're learning about our brains. So the power is is, we have it, you know, even though we're powerless over alcohol, we have a lot of power over the things that we choose to do. Moving for a so final
1: thought on the segment. You have the power. <laughs> the tennis. I yes. love it. Well, this has been a great segment. Everybody will put a, a link in the show notes here to how to access this uh stone ridge article and we've got much more show to come christina dennis it's going to be great we've got another segment coming back we're going to take a quick little break and then we're going to be back for the next segment so definitely hold on but before we do i wanted to kind of mention that we mentioned codependency we mentioned that people suffer from it but a lot of people are like what the heck am i going to do about this What am Mm. I going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And I need to start setting boundaries, but I don't know how. So that's why Christina Dennis put together this amazing three day challenge that you can access on recoveredlife.us and you can get there. The best actually way to do it is to go to info.recoveredlife.us and you're going to get custom videos sent to you and you're going to walk through that first part about how to set up healthy boundaries. So check it out at info.recoveredlife.us. That's info.recoveredlife.us. We're going to be back after this quick break.
0: You're listening to The Recovered Life Show welcome back so happy you are here with us before we start that second segment though i want to let everybody know that this show is being brought to you by recovered life contributors and people like you please like share follow tell a friend leave us a comment so that we can continue the conversation on subjects that really matter to you also visit info.recoveredlife.s where you can you know, join the network, which is completely free. Show us a little love with a donation that allows us to keep the show going and help others. And uh, remember, that's info.recoverlife.s.
1: Thank you so much for mentioning that, Christina. Uh, we have got a great segment uh, for you here. Uh, right. I, you know, you know, I love the scandalous stuff. <laughs> you know I like the high drama stuff. So, you know, it's interesting because I, you know, on my little iPad, I put little things that I want to see. And some of it has to do with sobriety and recovery. And up pops this little thing from Ask Amy. And we've, we've talked about some of these Ask, Ask yes Amy articles before. This one was posted in the Chicago Tribune. And what I loved about this is it says, Ask Amy. Sober friend worries about friends enabling. And basically, I'll just cut to the chase here with what this was about, is that there is a woman and this man is dating her and this Mm. woman lives with her mom and uh, she's basically always in DUIs and he's enabling and running Mm. in and rescuing her and the mom's rescuing her and the mom and the boyfriend are getting together talking about uh, the woman's alcoholism but not really taking any action and trying to help set up this woman's life so she won't fail and get caught right drinking, basically. Right. And this made me think about enabling. And, and I thought, wow, what a great segment because so many people in recovery have been in a position where they feel that they've either been an enabler
0: mm-hmm. or been
1: enabled or been yes. enabled, right? Yes. Or of or, or enabling now.
0: Right. So true. I mean, I can sit back and think of every time somebody drove me home or helped me make an excuse about, you know, my blackout drinking, who stepped in to help me, you know, live life and not feel the consequences. And I can see it, you know, with people that are sober, they still have some enablers around them. They still don't hold the addict uh accountable. I mean, we know that it continues. What When you enable somebody to continue drinking, you're just extending the process and probably shortening their life. And I think it's important when we talk about it, this, and I'm not trying to bash on codependents. I am a codependent, but it's because the codependent doesn't want to feel the pain of watching somebody fall. Down, it's because they're uncomfortable with it, and it does not, in the long run, help anyone if we continue to enable the addict.
1: Yeah, well, I would say that um, you know definitely there's some codependent stuff going on here in this article. That's the thing. I, I, I less it was less about enabling for me. It was more mm-hmm. about codependency, right? Because the question that I would have to this person is, what are you getting out of enabling her? Yes, right. That's, that's the big thing. It's like, what are you getting out of this? Right now? It's interesting because you and I both have kids, right? And we also have had family members that have had, you know, there's always family members or close friends that have drama or will have problems with drinking or drugs or anything. Right. Right. And you so much want to try to help them, especially if you're in recovery. This is where the line, you know, what I learned kind of the hard way in early recovery in working with people through 12 step groups is that, not everybody wants to be fixed. Not everybody wants to get recovery and not everybody cares what you have to say about it. Right. So, uh, right. You learn the hard way, right? Like, and so dragging people to the finish line, right. Never has never worked for me. And it's been a hard lesson, Christina, that I've had to learn in recovery
0: it is so painful. And and you kind of touched on it. And I did earlier, which is, you know, what are you getting out of it? And our fear, you know, trying to alleviate our fear or feel the feelings of sadness, disappointment when somebody acts out or starts to face the consequences that they must face when they drink alcoholically is is the reason why we enter in. It seems like we are we care about the people and we really do care about them, but it's our own fear of the feelings that are going to happen in us when we stand by and watch somebody hurt themselves that we try to avoid. And codependency is such a thick layered Uh, area for all addicts, you know, that's what I believe. I've met codependents who aren't alcoholics, but I've never met an alcoholic who isn't a codependent. And it really takes time to pull back and check your motives. Um, I don't believe everybody has to hit a bottom, you know, a bad bottom to actually decide to quit drinking. But once somebody has told you, once they've identified that it's a problem, and you've helped them, to get to a place where they can get help, then it's really up to them to decide, okay, I'll take this help or I'll give it a chance. And that's very painful to watch.
1: Well, I think too, as I, you know, one of the things that is always said in, uh, with alcoholics is that, uh, you know, people in active addiction who don't really wanna stop, they're looking for ways to be able to continue on with that high, right, to continue on living mm-hmm. in alcoholism or drug addiction, or any kind of addiction, they take hostages, right? Like, so mm-hmm. this is this is the thing, like, this is really what this is about. This woman has taken these two people hostage. But one of the things that was a huge breakthrough for me when I had first learned about codependency, and I thought, wow, this is interesting, right? And, some, and I remember being in a 12-step group, and somebody was sharing that they had had this situation. And the comment in this group, in this type of group of people, who all had a lot of recovery said you know you need to have the person get sober mm-hmm. as much as they need to take that drink and yes. there's a boundary that has been crossed there that is not allowing you to see this clearly and that they are an independent person. And as much as you might want to do that, and as much as you might need to actually physically intervene with either an intervention or the police or whatever, right, whatever that might be mental health expert um, that you have to be careful because you don't know where you start and they end. that it's this intermeshing. And that's not, that is, that is codependency to its
0: core. It really, really is. And you know, one of the ways that you can determine uh, where whether you're in an enmeshed relationship is to think about how you react to bad things that are happening to the other person. Is it like it's happening to you? Are you getting hooked in and enraged if something bad happens? Are you afraid and staying up at night because so you know, your friend hasn't come home or there she is again drinking in the corner, or there she is under a pool tarp. <laughs> I'm not saying this because it happened to me. Maybe. And uh, you know, feeling that and understanding that you're going on the roller coaster with them, and there's no way that you can help them as long as you're staying on that roller coaster is important for all of the enablers out there and for codependents. We cannot get sober for somebody else. They have to want to get sober. They don't necessarily have to know that they want to get sober right when you introduce maybe a recovery or an intervention, but they have to be willing to try.
1: Yeah, this is you know I would say that if you were to take a survey with them, if you and I were coaching this family, right? Mm-hmm. I would say like, what would we be doing? Because we do this, you know, we've worked a lot together in things where we've yes. you know focused in on that family dynamic, and you know, I would definitely do that codependency test. It's like, do you have an opinion on anything when mm-hmm. you go out? Right? And the thing is, is that with this with this alcoholic um, hostage taker, you know, you find this a lot. You know, you find this a lot is that when the alcoholic realizes that the person has no boundaries, uh, subconsciously, I, I believe they attract. So the active alcoholic will move right into the most codependent people and put themselves right in the middle of it because it does enable them to be able to do what they want to do.
0: Oh, it really does. And, you know, don't forget the alcoholic is codependent as well. So we attract like water finds like water, right? So we attract those people, we want them in our lives, they help us, you know, they They are the ones feeling all the emotions for us so that we don't have to feel them. It's like you see, and we learned this in Al-Anon and codependency recovery, you see that you're just as crazy as possibly the alcoholic and you're not ingesting a chemical to help you. It's It's painful to recognize that as a person who cares about an active alcoholic. It's very painful to see that, but if we do not pull back and focus on ourselves, we are going to continue to allow them to hurt themselves. We're going to be enabling them. We have you to are one hundred
1: percent right, one hundred percent right. And you know, I was going to say, what would you recommend if you were if you were coaching this this family? Mm-hmm. What would you recommend, Christina?
0: Oh, well, I would uh, I would be very clear about how much I love this person, how much I care for this person, how much I want them to live a happy, joyous, and free life. I would set up a, a system in which I'm willing to find you help. And then I would get my butt into a 12-step group and a peer support group that helped me start focusing on my behaviors. Because, you know, alcoholism, drug addiction is a family disease and we all have to clean up our own house before we can go and help somebody else. So that's what I would do.
1: Absolutely. You know, it is very important to do that. I think to set those boundaries out, which we were Mm -hmm. talking a little bit in that last segment, you know, my recommendation would be, is that to really sit back you know, you talked about the, you know, we talk a lot about in recovery, the restoration of sanity uh, yes. for a, for uh, an alcoholic, but I would say the exact same thing. It's like, you know, if I was working with them, I would say like, let's get a notepad down and let's put a column on the left-hand side, rational, sane Yes. Uh, responses and the non-rational sane, insane responses. And I think you would find that that right column is really heavily loaded. Like if you're trying to rescue people, you know, and you're intervening and in doing something criminal by pulling them out of a DUI situation. Right. Yes. Now. Um, and you're, you know, maybe that's not sa- that that's not sane thinking, right? Like maybe that's not the way. And to be able to set these boundaries, like, excuse me, to be able to say like, Hey, listen, we can't save you from a DUI. So the next I'm- time that you're involved in a DUI, you're going to have to get arrested you're going to mm-hmm. have to get booked and you're going to have to sit there and we're not going to bail you out. Like sure. these are these are the rules, right? Like these are the rules. And to stick to those rules and I think that is hard for people in codependency because it's super painful. But you know, after working with you and you know, coaching people in this, what I found is that not sticking to the rules, Christina, is way even more painful. Oh, it because is. Because at the end the person never really the alcoholic never has we're not allowing and this is i think the big takeaway for me we have to allow people the dignity to make mistakes and have their own experiences so true yes if somebody's about ready to dive off of a bridge yes of course i'm going to grab them that's not what i'm saying but what i'm saying is is that when, when when you have set it up when you've educated when you've done everything that you can sometimes people need to make their own mistakes
0: They do. They do. And we know um, that we learn that most people will learn and grow from the mistakes they make. We also know that pain is one of the biggest motivators of change. And so ultimately, if you really love somebody and you want them to have a free life, you want them to be free of pain, you have to allow them to have the pain that they chose and to, to learn from it. And you have to focus on the pain that you're feeling because of it.
1: Well, we're going to put the links to this Ask Amy article here. I think it's enlightening for everyone and a little bit entertaining, honestly. Okay. She really great articles. Uh, this has been a great show, Christina. This has been great. I've learned a lot about... Uh, You know, I love tackling the science stuff and I also Mm -hmm. like just the practicality of the show because we always bring stuff out. You know, that's one thing, you know, we when we decided to revamp the Recovered Life show, I really wanted to make it conversational about what we're really talking about behind the scenes. Right. And this is what we're talking about behind the scenes, just things that we've read, things that we've observed. And you know, what makes the recovered life show even better is when you like, share, and comment. So we're Please. definitely going to ask you to do that. It helps so much, right? Christina? I mean It really to does. See the comments and the shares and the likes. It shows other people that, uh, that that this content is important.
0: It is so important. We know that alcoholism is touching everybody's life. And so bringing it out into the light and taking the shame away from it, is going to really make us all better people. And it does make it more fun whenever you comment and let us know what you're thinking. Absolutely. And head on over to
1: RecoveredLife.us. That's RecoveredLife.us. Become a member, joining in the conversation and talk with Christina and I personally. You get access to us personally on RecoveredLife.us. Okay, Christina, episode 110, Monday, May 16th, 2022, in the can. We'll see Yay. you guys on Wednesday.